This episode of What Came Next is sponsored by Kitsch and BetterHelp. Thank you, Kitsch, for sponsoring this episode. With a massive, ever-growing following, Kitsch has created game-changing essentials that beauty enthusiasts swear by, and so do I. Launching in 2010, Kitsch is a self-funded, female-founded company that is now carried in over 20,000 retail locations. No matter what your budget is, Kitsch's goal is to offer skin and hair care products for your all-day beauty regimen, and they really do have it all. Like their satin pillowcases, caps, and eye masks, which are all vegan and cruelty-free, or their heatless satin curling rollers, say bye-bye to heat damage. These are the original, the OG, and still the best heatless curlers. Don't settle for knockoffs. Get the ones that started the craze. Personally, I had to try the pre-wash scalp oil with rosemary and biotin. It was an amazing addition to my self-care routine. Within one application, my scalp was infinitely different and less dry. And within a week, my hair was softer, more refined. I could not love it more. I also got several of their satin scrunchie sets, which have quickly become my new favorite hair accessory. Right now, Kitsch is offering you 30% off your entire order at mykitsch.com WCN. That's right, 30% off anything and everything at mykitsch, spelled M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash WCN. One more time, mykitsch.com forward slash WCN for 30% off your entire order. What Came Next is intended for mature audiences only. Episodes discuss topics that can be triggering, such as emotional, physical, and sexual violence, suicide, and murder. I am not a therapist, nor am I a doctor. If you're in need of support, please visit somethingwaswrong.com forward slash resources for a list of nonprofit organizations that can help. Opinions expressed by my guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of myself or Broken Cycle Media. Resources and source material are linked in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. Stacey Burroughs is a comedian and writer from Topanga, California, by way of Texas. I first met her about a decade ago while we both performed in a live show centered around motherhood. Although I connected with her musical comedy then, it wasn't until I watched her one-woman live show, Bulletproof Unicorn, that I truly understood the scope of her strength and tenacity. This week, Stacy is sharing her experiences with domestic violence and sibling abuse, as well as what came next for her after she turned the aftermath of her grief into a musical comedy. I'm Stacy Burroughs. I'm a writer, comedian, and I also do some music on the side. My friends and family would call me nutty, but in a good way, hopefully, they would call me funny. I've been writing comedy for a very long time, probably 20 years or plus. Comedy is what got me through my childhood. There was a show called Short Attention Span Theater, and I would listen to that. I would listen to Steve Martin's Wild and Crazy Guy, or if there was a comedy special on HBO, I would turn that on. I just loved comedy and comedy loved me back. 
I was like, damn it, you can trust a joke because you can't fake a laugh. If you laugh, that is because that thing just completely took you out of your reality and into theirs. It's really powerful and I love it. I'm so glad that I took a chance on myself to try it. My family is blended. We all have a different combination of mom and dad sets. It was not an easy dinner table to sit at. All of this trauma happened in our family before I was born, by the way. I was born in 73. The third sister in the line had just been born. My parents had just gotten together and my brother and sister's biological father killed himself. He was an addict. We have a history of addiction in my family. We just see a lot of cycles repeating themselves from generations past. When I see my brother, I go, wow, you are literally just in a loop that has happened in this family before. What I'm finding with my brother is, it's the old saying, hurt people hurt people. My brother had a terrible thing happen in his childhood and he never recovered from that. It just festered and ate him up basically and created a monster. However, I will say that out of the five siblings, I made it a point to get along with all of the siblings, even though many of the siblings have written him off years ago because of things he's done. He's not making really good choices and he's hurting a lot of people. So I basically kept him tethered to me. I would call him, text him. I would take his calls where the others would not because he had crossed the line with the others that they just couldn't forgive. And I won't get into that. But I understand and I actually am envious that they had the ability to sever that relationship years ago. I did not. I call myself the bulletproof unicorn because I'm this empathetic little magical sprite who feels like she can just sprinkle sparkles of glitter dust on things and solve problems. But when someone is so addicted to whatever it is they are addicted to, you're not dealing with your brother anymore. You're dealing with his demons. And that's what I learned in this process. My sisters tried to tell me, they're like, no, 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 he's lying. Don't believe it. And I'd be like, but come on, guys, we have to give him a chance. He's hurting. He's mentally unwell. He's an addict. He just needs help. I was constantly trying to find a solution for him, thinking I could fix him. And that is when I got in way over my head. My husband and my two teenage boys and I went down to Texas to visit my family. This was the first visit that we had had since COVID. Nobody had seen each other, so I thought, now we're vaccinated, we can go down there. Before we went down there, we decided to take a trip to Mexico because we hadn't had a vacation in a couple years. While we're in Mexico, I get a phone call from my brother. My kids see the caller ID and it's his name. My kids are like, do not answer that, mom, please. Jesus, we're in paradise right now. You know that's not gonna be good. They know that every time my brother calls, my eyes start twitching and my stomach ties itself in a knot. So I was like, you know what, you're right. I'm not picking up that call. But then it kept gnawing at me. So I was like, maybe I'll just listen to the voicemail. My brother left about seven voicemails over the course of the entire evening, well into the early hours of the morning. And each one of them was just awful. His voice was broken. He could barely breathe. He said that he was dying, that he didn't have much time left to live, and that he was just checking in on me and those beautiful boys. He wanted me to call him if I got a chance because he needed my help. I'm a really empathetic person at heart and I really am compassionate. So I call him the next day to check in on him. And when I called him, he picked right up. Totally sounds completely normal. Doesn't remember that he's called me at all. Doesn't remember anything he said. I was like, wait a second, what is going on here? 
I decided to keep him on the phone for about two hours. I had a notebook near me. And so I was just writing down all the things that he was saying. He was just having false memories about childhood, weird things that he was boasting about that weren't true. I would say probably 60% of the conversation was not factual. But there were hints of things inside the conversation that I was like, well, is that true? One of them was that he was in a relationship. I was like, what's her name? He tells me her name. He's so happy and they're living together. Then he contradicts himself and says he's been kicked out of the house. The reason I was digging at this conversation is because a couple of years prior to this, the family was realizing that something was wrong with our mom and we couldn't figure it out. Our mom is not remembering stuff. She can't quite do things like she used to. We now know she has dementia and Alzheimer's. But before we knew this, she was very depressed. She was not acting like herself. So all the siblings, back when we were talking to each other, we got overprotective of my mom and we decided to take all of the guns out of the house. We didn't want my mom to hurt herself, but we had to do it while my dad was in the hospital for heart surgery. When my dad came out of the hospital, he was like, where are my guns? So while I was talking to my brother on the phone in Mexico, I was like, hey, where are those guns? He was like, oh, they're at my girlfriend's house, but she kicked me out. And I'm sitting here going, oh my God, who is this woman that we don't know? And how do we get the guns back? My dad is pressuring me to go get the guns back because they were his father's hunting rifles. They're very sentimental. So now I was caught in the middle of my father who wanted his possessions back, my brother who stole the guns because he didn't want my mom to hurt her, and this woman who no one knew. I had to turn into a detective and I had to track down the woman, which I did. I had to track down the guns, which I did. And then I had to somehow convince the woman to give me the guns so that I could give them back to my dad, which I didn't because my brother found out about what I was trying to do and basically snapped. That is when all hell breaks was for me and my family. I basically trigger all the PTSD in his childhood from all of his trauma because his father did take his life. I was like, oh God, I am caught up in the middle of something. Over the course of three days, I basically got my kids and my husband and we had to hunker down in a hotel room in another city. I wasn't exactly sure where my brother was and I wasn't exactly sure if he was gonna hurt us, but something just told me, you have to leave your parents' house. He knows you're in town and he knows your boys are in town. He's very angry and dangerous. During those three days while we were just trying to figure out what to do, my brother begins emailing us. He would say, you should kill yourself. And then another email would say, your kids should kill themselves. And then some of them were just gibberish. Then three days into this nightmare, he starts emailing that he is going to quote, hunt down and kill my children, that he quote, knew my address, that I had brought all of this upon myself. When the tone switched into a direct threat to my children, I was like, this is a whole new territory that has me terrified. I called the cops and I was like, go arrest my brother. They're like, no, we're not gonna do that. Here's the problem with the legal system. You can't just call the law and tell them about the crime and have them A, believe you, and B, act on it. They had all these rules. If you have a crime to report, then you have to come into the station to report the crime. And I'm like, I've got my brother who is threatening to murder me and my kids, and he's in your city. I have left that city because I don't feel safe in that city. I do not want to drive back into that city and put myself at risk. I don't know if he's tracking us. I don't know if he's following us. I don't know where those guns are right now. 
So I went back and forth with the sheriff. Finally, a woman got on the phone. I spoke to her for a bit and I said, listen, if you can't go and arrest him, will you at least do a wellness check on him? And this is the point I want to stress. I know that my brother is mentally unwell. So really what he needed was mental health support during these dark days. But instead, I had to call it in as a crime. Cops finally did go to his motel room where he was staying. I knew where he was because he told me in his drunken stupor where he was. But I knew that he would not be at that address much longer because he was trying to hide out. They finally arrested him and they threw him in jail. They charged him with domestic violence and terroristic threat. However, they let him go the very next day because my brother just told the DA that his sisters were mad at him and this was a big old misunderstanding. They were just like, oh, okay, no worries. Here you go, buddy, back out on the streets. There was no consequence other than spending a night in jail and sobering up. I've come to learn that had I called the FBI, if you threaten to murder somebody over email, that's now a federal situation. I'm lucky enough to know someone who is a district attorney in another state. He was my guide on this because he's like, what he's doing right now is a federal crime. That's not even state level anymore. Again, I didn't take it to that level. I went to state level, which was Texas, and I got nowhere. I got a restraining order after all this happened in Texas. They were like, oh, wait a second. You don't live in Texas. This won't do you any good. And I go, but he can cross state lines in a car. And they're like, yeah, you don't need this. So they just canceled it. My brother has done a lot of really horrible things in his life, but he always seems to get away with no consequence. I mean, yes, he lost his family. He lost his house. He lost his job. Those are consequences. But as far as the law is concerned, he never got thrown in jail for the things that he was doing to people until I got involved. And I was like, oh, hell no, you're not going to mess with me and my kids. At that very moment, I was like, I got to get my kids out of Texas. I have to get out of here as quickly as possible. So we had a flight scheduled to leave like a couple days later. We eventually left the hotel. We hunkered down at my brother-in-law's house and then got on a crack of dawn flight back to California. I cried like a baby the whole flight home. There was another email exchange between my brother and me after he got out of jail. He apologized, saying that he didn't remember sending those emails. He didn't want me to be mad at him because he wasn't responsible for that because that wasn't him. My last email to him was, you are very sick and you need a lot of help. I am going to give you places you can go. You don't need money. You don't need insurance. You could roll up with no shoes on your feet and these people will take you in. They will give you a hot meal. They will give you a bed and they have the skills to help you. But then at the end of the email, I said, do not misunderstand this email and think that this is a request for you to ever reach out to me again because you can't. I will not answer it. You don't have this sister anymore, which is really sad because I was the only one left standing. I was the only one that could see past all of his darkness and saw a human being. And he lost that with me when he threatened to hurt my kids. I came home and I was a nervous wreck. Every time I opened the garage, I imagined my brother would be standing in the garage door just like holding a gun to my children. Every day I was like, he's gonna come and he's gonna find me because now he has a target. He doesn't want to shoot me. He wants to shoot my kids because he knows shooting me, that's a flesh wound. You shoot my kids, that's death for me. He is the kind of person that would rather kill something you love so that he could watch you suffer the way that he suffered. And I'm sorry, I'm getting really emotional.
What Came Next is also brought to you by BetterHelp. Life can be quite difficult, but you don't have to navigate it alone. Utilizing professional mental health support has helped me develop tools and practices to get through some of the darkest times in my life. Talk therapy, specifically, has been transformative for my mental health and my relationships. BetterHelp connects us with licensed therapists who can help us navigate the many challenges life may present. BetterHelp services are entirely online and designed to fit within your schedule. They keep the process simple and accessible, and you can switch your therapist anytime for no additional charge. Your new therapist is only an online survey away. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com WCN today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash WCN. I don't come from a family that went to therapy. I come from a family who went to really big churches in Texas. But I know what therapy can do for a person. Sometimes it's just getting in a room and talking to somebody who's on your side, who has the skills and the tools to help you in your darkness. That can save your life. In addition to therapy, what my armor has been my whole life is humor. I was the baby in this family. And there were tense times. And I have this weird ability to be in the darkest of situations. And my mind just ticks and I go, where's the joke? It didn't happen quite so seamlessly after these things happened with my brother. It took about six months. I went to my therapist. I've been going to her for years because, you know, just life. And anytime I talk about my family in Texas, she's like, wait, what? I'm sorry, but the way that you're telling me all of these things that ever happened, she's like, it's weirdly humorous. And I was like, yeah, well, I mean, I have to laugh about it now because I survived. I have to turn it into something funny or else it's just really heavy baggage I carry around with me. I made a choice. Tragedy plus time equals comedy, right? I turned all of this into this really dark comedy, Bulletproof Unicorn, because I didn't know how else to do it. Bulletproof Unicorn is the true tale of my drunk brother threatening to murder me and my kids while we were on vacation in Texas just a couple summers ago. The reason why the show exists is because I came out of COVID going, what am I going to do now? I need to write, I need to create, but this horrible event had just happened. I had had trouble sleeping for a good six months after it. But then one night I went to sleep and I slept so deeply, deeper than I'd ever slept before. I dreamt that I got on a comedy club stage to do a set. In the room, there were like lots of high profile comedians. I tried to tell a joke and I couldn't tell a joke. I couldn't remember punchlines. And then I'm fumbling with my phone, trying to find my notes app and the audience is getting frustrated and I'm getting frustrated. Then in my dream, I just went, you know what? Who wants to hear bits and who wants to hear the truth? about what's going on in my life right now. And in my dream, the audience was like, yeah, we wanna hear the truth. And I go, okay, here you go. And I retold the story and the audience was laughing. I'm like, why are they laughing at this? This is really dark. But then I woke up and I was like, oh my God, that might just work. I told my husband, I think I have the next show. And I just started writing furiously. While I was writing it, I did text my sister and go, hey, I'm remembering an event that I'm not quite sure is true, but it lives very fuzzy in my mind. I was like, were there three bullet holes in our living room wall? And she was like, oh yeah. 
It was just like the same level of discovery when I texted her like, did we have two ringneck doves living in a cage in the entry hall? And she's like, yeah, we did. It's just so funny because it's all part of this weird quilt of our memories of our childhood. I just want to reemphasize the fact that I really do love my family in Texas. In writing the show or performing the show, there's no agenda for me to make my family look bad or to make fun of them. And they have not seen the show and they do not want to see the show. They think the show is my standing up and mocking them. And it's absolutely not. That was never my intention. I just tell you my background. And sometimes my background comes across as a little wackadoodle. They're a little bit insecure about some of the things that happened in our family. And I get that. But it was never my mission to bring shame upon my family. In fact, if nothing else, I want people to empathize because we have all been through the shit together. I love them. That's what I want to get across. They, of course, know me as a comedian. They've seen my work. They know that my intentions are good. There's no other purpose of telling this story other than to just process it in a humorous way. By creating Bulletproof Unicorn, I took the narrative. I get to tell you the story from my voice, from my perspective, in my power. Otherwise, it's just him controlling every single element. He doesn't get to control me anymore. He can't mess with me because I have now made myself incredibly powerful. Do you also think there's a little bit of justice you're creating for yourself because you weren't heard by the police in that situation? Absolutely. Because I do ask each audience that sees the show or hears the story, you are bearing witness to the actual specific credible threat that my brother placed upon me and my children. The DA wouldn't listen. The judge wouldn't listen. He was just seen as a drunk that night in the jail. But I was like, no, there was more to it. But they just chose to overlook. I think because he's a white man in Texas, he's very tall, very charming, very handsome. And he's a con man at heart. That's what he does. He grifts women left and right. And he knows how to weasel out of things. So I did this show to also document this is what he did. And at the end of the show, I show like a little 90 second clips reel of all the evidence to show you that it was absolutely real. These are the emails that he sent. And this is what he said. The first time I performed Bulletproof Unicorn was in July of 2022. I invited all of my friends and we packed the house. I was so excited to have that support because I had written this really dark comedy, right? I was like, this is going to be great. You guys, we can all laugh at this. It's ridiculous. What happened was, as I start telling the story and reliving it, I literally get so choked up. I can't remember the script. I am like pausing to catch my breath. In that moment, I was seeing how people were responding to the words that were coming out of my mouth because I do walk you down the lane of the dysfunction and trauma that has happened in my family before my brother threatened to murder my kids. And as I'm reliving it, people are looking at me like, she has a disconnect between the words she's saying and how we're taking it. And people were gasping. They were like, oh my God. And I'm like, oh no, it's funny. And they're like, no, it's not funny. I was like, oh. So the first time I did it was really, really hard. Then I go all the way to Scotland for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I have a European audience. Again, I'm going through all the stuff. Just the concept that a normal family would have so many weapons in their house, they're shocked at that. A lot of people in Scotland at the end, they would come up to me and they'd say, how much of that was true? And I'm like, every single word. And they're like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, every single word is true. 
that initial audience out here and the one in Scotland, do you think they helped you realize how much trauma you went through? Yes. Yes. Just watching their faces, especially in Scotland, jaws were on the ground. It was really eye-opening for me. I came home from Scotland and I rewrote the script. I said, okay, I have to find an angle to house it within comedic or fantasy level. And that's when I found the Vietnam connection. I was born in 73. That's when Vietnam was going on. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I can do a completely tongue-in-cheek comparison to my dysfunctional family and what was going on in the world and see those two as connected. The first line of Bulletproof Unicorn is, it's 1973. You hear that baby crying? That's me. I was in the shit. Was I born in Vietnam? No, but it damn sure felt like it. Now, when someone comes to the show, they're like, okay, some of it's fantasy, some of it's real, but the way that I've housed it is we're now in a world where she's not literally saying she's in a war zone. She's having some fun with it. Is it cathartic? Yes, it is. Is it hard? Yeah. Every single time I do the show, my family will tell you that I have a nervous breakdown the week before the show because I have to relive and retell the story. It does a little number on me. We just did it in New York at a place called Theater Lab. Theater Lab is a white box theater. You cannot darken a white box theater. So when the show is on, I could see every single person. There were about 35, 40 people there. I like an intimate audience and I could see into everyone's eyes as I told this story. It was really helpful to me because I could check on them. I'm very sensitive to how people are receiving what I'm saying. So it was really nice when I deliver some of the darker jokes. So when I do comedy, like with Mommy Tonk, it's like, that's just an escape from reality. We're all going to come in here. We're going to have some drinks. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to laugh. It's going to be a really sweet night. There might be one song in here that's kind of a sappy one, but it's an hour and a half of just comedy. I remember when I heard your story the first time, Lindsay Cavett co-created the show, which is where we met over like 10 years ago. It's a storytelling show with motherhood as a theme. It's called Expressing Motherhood. I was doing a comedy act with my best friend, Shannon Noel. We were doing musical comedy about the trials and tribulations of motherhood. Our comedy band is called Mommy Tonk. It was really sweet and just super harmless fun, right? Lindsay did the lineup that night and we followed you. You got up and told this incredible story about your brother and what he did to your mother. I am a wreck because I hadn't heard the story. And I am literally in the back, like heaving, like I'm crying, I'm hyperventilating. And then they're like, and now mommy talk. I was like, what? I think we got up and sang a song about some stupid aspect of motherhood. But we were supposed to be comedians right after that. And I was like, Lindsay, why would you put us right there? She goes, because I knew the audience needed it. They needed to laugh after they cried. That is the power of comedy, isn't it? That you can literally hear the most horrific story. And then you can lighten it up with a comedian going, okay, we're going to switch gears now. And that is what I've done my whole life because I've been sitting in rooms full of tension and conflict, but I always had just like a show going on in my head. I would laugh at inappropriate things. I just love comedy for that reason. So to be retelling a story that's not complete comedy, it's a different experience for me. I know that then I'm handing the audience this baggage, but... I made very sure to write a show lighthearted enough that people don't feel heavy when they're leaving. I wanted them to feel like, okay, she survived. She's now laughing at this and we can too. Often what we talk about on What Came Next is how gutting ourselves in the media 
affects our path and healing and how these traumas sometimes feel heavier and lighter at different times. But I was just thinking as you were speaking, damn, we do it on TV. We can reset. We can cut. We can get edited. You are literally on stage. It's got to carry a weight and a heaviness that a lot of things don't. A lot of people know me for just this lighthearted comedy. So when they come see Bulletproof Unicorn, they're like, oh, that's different. Do you have any advice for anyone that might have navigated similar familial structures? I make a point to say in the show that I have gotten out of the business of helping people because that is what got me into all of this trouble. But I will say that advice that I would have given myself two years ago when all of this went down, you cannot fix that person. You need to draw hard boundaries with that person and you need to stick to those boundaries because they, and when I say they, I'm speaking specifically about my brother, they will spot a weakness. People like that will take advantage of someone who has a softness about them. He saw an opening with me. He didn't see with my sisters because they were tougher than I was with him. They had seen him hurt his daughters, his ex-wife, and my parents. They were like, enough. But I don't live in Texas, so I didn't have a front row seat to that. I only got some of the details. I really sympathize with my brother. I do, because he's sick and he is traumatized. I can't imagine how hard it is to be in his body and in his mind. I just always saw him as a victim. I saw him as someone who needed help. And that is true. But I am not the person to help him. I can't be that person. I do plan on writing another solo show. I'm trying to find my angle because I'm like, oh, honey, that's just the most recent thing that happened. But I've got a million wackadoodle things I could tell you that are all true. I can't wait for the next one. I just love your work. Where can people find you on social media? On Instagram, I am at Bulletproof Unicorn Show. There's at Stacy Burrows, and that's spelled with an I-E and an O-W-S. And then there's at Mommy Tonk, which is the mom comedy band that I was in. We have an album called Nailed It on all music streaming sources. Be warned, even though we're called Mommy Tonk, we are not suitable for children. The website is bulletproofunicorn.com. I just wrapped three nights in Santa Barbara. We were able to film the show and get some nice photos made so that I can put together a package so that I can pitch it to theaters and see if anyone would like to have me come on over and do the show for them. Thank you for sharing your story and everything that you do to bring your perspective to the world. I'll do what I can. I'll keep doing it until I can't do it anymore. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Next week on What Came Next. Valentine's Day has always been special, but it will never be special for me to celebrate because that was the most horrific day of my life. About two weeks before that, I texted my daughter. You know, I just keep thinking something's going to happen to Jordan. Another thank you to BetterHelp and Kitsch for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget, Kitsch is offering you 30% off your entire order at mykitsch.com slash WCN. That's 30% off anything and everything at mykitsch, spelled M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash WCN. One more time, mykitsch.com slash WCN for 30% off your entire order. 
What Came Next is a Broken Cycle Media production co-produced by Amy B. Chesler and Tiffany Reese. If you'd like to help support What Came Next, you can leave us a positive review, support our sponsors, or follow Broken Cycle Media on Instagram at Broken Cycle Media. Check out the episode notes for sources, resources, and to follow our guests. Thank you again for listening.